Welcome to the Pokes Podcast, the official podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences here at OSU. I'm Erin Milik. And I'm Elizabeth Gosney. And today we're talking with Dr. Laura Rada, an assistant professor in the Department of History, about the Booker T. Washington School. Washington School was a historic black school that operated here in Stillwater, Oklahoma in the early 20th century. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. My name is Dr. Laura Arata. I'm an associate professor in the history department. I've been at OSU since 2014. I am the director of public history now, which is amazing. I get to work on a lot of hands-on projects. This is one of them. And that all kind of ties in with my background. I have my master's degree and my PhD from Washington State University, where I studied public history. And I'm really fascinated with historic preservation and how we save these kind of remnants of the past that are really tangible that we can actually walk through and get our hands on. So when I came across this project, it was just kind of serendipitous that we had this amazing building in Stillwater that needs some attention. Definitely. So for those who aren't as aware of what the Booker T. Washington School is, could you give us a little bit of a background and a history on what um, that used to be, what it is now, and kind of all of that in between? Stillwater was segregated early in its history, and that was true for a lot of places, not just in Oklahoma, of course, but around the country. So there was always a separate school for African-American children. The first school for black children went up even before statehood. There was a little wooden frame building on that site. And the black community of Stillwater was limited to this relatively small area between about 9th and 14th streets, um, right where there's a bend in Stillwater Creek that comes up. And so when the rain was really bad or when it was a wet year, that area would flood pretty frequently. The little school that was there to begin with only offered education for grades K through eight. And it was at one point, I think about maybe 90 to 100 students was pretty common, but it meant that anybody who wanted to go past eighth grade, who was hoping to continue their education, just go to high school those last few years, had to go to another community. They either had to go to Guthrie or Langston or Tulsa or Oklahoma City, someplace where there was an all-black high school. And so for a lot of families, that meant being separated, having kids separated from their parents for sometimes weeks at a time. Like Lots of people just couldn't afford to make that travel back and forth um, or didn't own a car. So in 1937, 1938, there was some federal funding that came through to build a brick school, which is the building we see today. And that allowed for expansion to include a high school for the first time. So from about 1938 to 1956, there's a school there that offers K through 12 education, and we know that there's definitely some students from other parts of Payne County and surrounding counties that attended high school there too throughout the years. What happened in 1956? So we have to back up just a tiny bit. In 1954, <laughs> there's kind of a landmark federal lawsuit, Brown versus Board of Education, not yeah. too far from us in Kansas. And the outcome of that Supreme Court case is that segregated education is declared illegal. Mm -hmm. So schools have to make plans to integrate. 
And Stillwater actually responded to that pretty quickly. The first plans for integration came through in 1956. So 1956 was the very last all-black graduating class from Washington High School. And then some students from Washington School went to other schools um, in the area. And Washington School did continue to function as a primary school for several years. So it had several more classes of students that came through, but not high school students. And you mentioned the final graduating class had a very unique uh, motto for their, there's only seven students, is that right, in the, in the believe, final graduating class? Yeah, I believe there were seven students in that last class. Two of them are still alive, at least two, maybe three. Several of them are still alive, and it's been amazing to share those stories. But every graduating class from Washington High School had a class motto, and they varied over the years. But in 1956, their motto was, don't wait for something to turn up, turn it up. <laughs> and that seemed like a really fitting, you know, just sort of motto for what we're hoping to do with the history of Washington School. So we've adopted that, and you'll find it on some of our little fun goodies that we have to give away if you swing by the history department. How exactly did you get involved with the Washington School and the kinds of projects that are going on now? It's a great question. It was really pretty organic. My first year in Stillwater bought a little house that was right down the street. So I used to walk by that building a lot and just, like always had questions. It's a really cool old building. Mm-hmm. And then we had a flood in Stillwater in 2019. Mm-hmm. That of course, you can find lots of pictures of. And it was really eye-opening to me to walk out of my house, walk out my front door. And my house wasn't affected by the water. But just a couple blocks away, there were houses that were under several feet of water. And Washington School was under quite a bit of water. And so as a historian, that makes us start asking some questions about just like historically, there's a reason that some places flood and other places don't flood as much. And then, of course, we had the pandemic hit in 2020. And when everything was shut down, I had a lot more time to sit around and sort of ask questions and go on a lot of long walks and go by Washington School. Um, so I started wondering what I could do. And of course, you know, a lot of things happened in 2020. We had the murder of George Floyd. There were some bigger news events making the national news and starting some really important conversations. And so for me, as a historian looking around, I'm sort of asking, okay, well, what stories can I help tell that you know speak to these bigger issues? That's part of my job. And so one of the things that was really desperately needed was just an assessment of this building. A lot of people said, well, it's in really bad condition. All it's good for now is tearing it down. You're not going to be able to save it. It's been through a lot. You've seen the floodwaters. And so I said, okay, well, if we don't have money to go in and, you know, pay professional architects to do this really big survey, which would be really intensive, what if we had some students get involved? And I know that we have students here who do engineering and architecture things that would probably be interested. So I wonder if I can connect with some of them. And so I reached out to the engineering department and said, you know, I know you have senior design teams that have to pick projects could I have a team to go with me into this school and we'll try and get measurements and document the condition it's in and then at least we'll know. The response I got was, okay, well, we'll see if students are interested and if they are, then sure, you can have a team that'll go in and do that. 
And it's an amazing story. There were so many students who wanted to do it who were like, yes, please let me work on Washington School, that I ended up with two teams because they couldn't be dissuaded (laughs) from not working on this school. Uh, So we had two teams of engineering students, and they worked with history grad students. And we spent the whole semester just getting inside the building and taking measurements and looking at the condition of things. And those students were able to demonstrate pretty conclusively that this building's in a lot better shape than we thought it was. And it's holding up really well, actually, Mm -hmm. for what it's been through. And that was a really amazing first step to talking with other people and starting to say, hey, you know, maybe there's more hope for this building than we thought. That's awesome. I love that that kind of connection between the Stillwater community and OSU is yet again demonstrated in um, a project that is going to benefit both parties now, for sure. So you kind of touched on what OSU's involvement's been thus far, but kind of where does that go from here? There's so much work to do. (laughs) I have another team of engineering students working on the building this semester, so we're still asking questions. And one of the outcomes has been that a private donor came through and bought back the building, essentially. It was under private ownership. It was kind of slated for demolition. That was always part of the discussion. Um, And a private donor heard the story of its history and thought that was important and that it could still serve the community. So that donor paid to buy it back, essentially, and it transferred it to the city of Stillwater. So the city of Stillwater now owns the building and has title to the building. There's lots of things coming up in the next few months. What were some of the ideas that have come out? Like, what are some things that students are proposing to do with the building? Students have some amazing ideas. There's definitely a lot of enthusiasm for having it be sort of a study space or a community space. We're talking about all sorts of things right now, Mm -hmm. maybe a heritage garden outside that sort of allows all different kinds of people to learn about different native plants and how you grow things. That might be a possibility. Some people would love to see it be like an event space. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of enthusiasm for restoring the basketball courts and the gymnasium and maybe having sort of three-on-three tournaments and things like that. So it's one of the amazing things. We don't know yet. We don't know what's going to happen, but the right idea will come out of it. You know, you mentioned the 2019 flood and the there's a history of flooding in that area. Are there concerns for that to be an issue moving forward with preserving the space? Absolutely. There's a, a particular bend of Stillwater Creek. I'm not an engineer. So <laughs> um, this is how the engineering students explain it to me. Um, I learn a ton from them about yeah. how water works <laughs> and how we control water. But it is a concern. There's sort of, we have the ability to help it flood less but we probably can't stop it from flooding. Um, So the engineering students this semester that are working on it actually are assessing that question of what happens if we just allow it to flood? We're Mm -hmm. just going to accept that sometimes the water is going to be high enough we can't keep it out. So how do we clean that up? How Mm -hmm. do we make sure electrical outlets and things are moved up high enough that they won't be affected? What do we have to do to you know, manage that. And also that'd be kind of a cool part of the building's history, you know, if it was just sort of acknowledged that 
this is going to be part of saving it is accepting that sometimes it'll get some water inside of it. So we'll see what they come up with. Yeah, shout out to my engineering team. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've, you've brought, and our listeners can't see, but you've brought photos of some of the students, the football team, and uh, it looks like maybe one of the graduating classes. Um, so can you tell us some stories or some other things about the, the actual students and, and maybe the teachers who, who attended this school and who taught at this school? There's so many great stories. Anyone who's interested in hearing some firsthand accounts, the Oklahoma Oral History Research Program through our library here did collect some oral histories with a few alumni of the school that talk about the community and what life was like, and those are all available for free through our website, so that's a great resource. Um, There's lots of great stories about Washington School being sort of the heart of the community. I think my favorite one that I've come across, and I'm still doing some more research, but in the 1930s, the football team for Washington High School was really, really good. They won like a ton of games. And they used to play on the field across the street from the school that's now like where the dog park and the splash pad and oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the baseball fields are. They used to play over there. And there was a period of time in the 1930s when the OSU football team wasn't as successful. <laughs> and the Ocali has some reports of students on a Friday night, like, paying to go down and watch the Washington school football team so they could come back and be like, yeah, our football team won. You guys, great. Doing so good. Um, and that football team, and actually their basketball team, won some state championships and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of accolades that we don't talk about enough. And then, of course, since this is a school that was closed, essentially, for a long time, we don't know where any of, like, their trophies and their, you know, awards, their things that they won, we don't know where those have ended up. They're wow. sort of missing. So there's this whole history to tell and this whole history to reconstruct. And the stories of community members are really essential. We might not realize sometimes there's not a lot of houses left in that particular little section of town because of the flooding. Mm. A lot of the houses were taken down in the 50s and 60s, but there was a whole thriving little community there and they had shops and restaurants and a laundromat and a little hotel and all kinds of things that served the black community. Yeah, driving through there now, I don't think I ever realized, you know, really that that's what was there before and, you know, how times change and how people take things away without realizing, you know, kind of what they have taken away. Yeah, and it's just, you know, at some point it's not anybody's fault. It's just that we can't honor history we don't know about. And you can't know about every single piece of history. Like That would be impossible for anybody to Mm -hmm. keep up with everything. So, um, but that's why... I have a job here, and I get to help us think about some of these stories that maybe got overlooked. And through the College of Arts and Sciences, you got a grant to do some uh, cool project and exhibition of sorts, right? Or what would you call it? How can, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it was an exhibition. That's why you have all this cool stuff in front of you on the table that we're just taunting people with. Um Yeah, I got a little community engagement grant, which was super helpful. One of the things it was really important to do was just to give something back to the community. There's still a lot of descendant members of people who went to Washington School or whose families lived in that area. 
And it was really, really important to acknowledge them and acknowledge their stories and how meaningful it was that they're trusting us with their stories and make it really clear that we're not trying to take anything away, right? We're not trying to take these stories so we can make money from them or Mm -hmm. we can do things with them. We really want to make sure they're preserved for the community, the broader community to access. So CAS was good enough to give me a community engagement grant that paid for four panels, so four big canvas panels that talked about the history of the school and flooding and the sports teams and hopes and dreams for the future. And we got to make up some cool little giveaway goodies, like little squishy footballs that we thought were cool (laughs) because they represent the football team, right? And pens and stickers. A professor in the architecture department was nice enough to take time to design this really beautiful logo that you see on Mm -hmm. all of our stuff. And we printed off, you know, just some pictures and things. And we set that exhibit up for the first time at Zion AME Church, which is still operational, of course, here in Stillwater. And a lot of members of the community go there. And we felt like that was a fitting place to say, here's what we're trying to give back. And we hope to continue working together. So that exhibit's been up. There's a copy of it at the Stillwater History Museum and if you're interested it's on display this month for Black History Month so you can go see it and also pick up goodies there's free stickers (laughs) and bookmarks and pens and more squishy footballs (laughs) squishy footballs are a hit (laughs) how could they not be you can't give away squishy footballs in Oklahoma what are we doing what's been the response have you heard um, yeah feedback from from the people who have seen the exhibition Yeah, and it's been so positive. Um, I've been invited to talk about the exhibit at several of the churches around town and some different community functions, um, the city of Stillwater, and the sort of overwhelming response, if I had to summarize it, is a lot of people saying, wow, I just didn't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know about this history, but it's really interesting to learn about, and I'm glad I learned a little bit more about it. Actually, it was like a fun story. The person who printed off the physical panels, so who like made the actual panels of the exhibit, had reached out to us and said, wow, you know, I've lived in Stillwater my whole life, and I just never knew. I had no idea. That was the history of the building. It's like, all right, we've already reached like, <laughs> yeah. the first person. Yeah. Um, so what, are there other kinds of ways for the community to get involved with your preservation efforts? Of course. The immediate thing that's coming up um, is we're going to have a community cleanup day. I don't have all the details yet, but I'm sure I can send them to you and you can link them to the podcast <laughs> yeah, when yeah. it's out. Um, so there will be a day where the community gets a chance to get involved and we're going to clean out. There's some debris left over in the building that needs to be cleaned up. So that'll be coming up in the next couple months. Um, and there for sure will be some bigger discussions. We're going to need to hear from the community what they want in this space and what people think should happen there. What are some of the challenges that you've faced in your efforts to preserve the school? And have you faced any other challenges in preserving black history in Oklahoma or in other areas of your work? Because I know one of your uh, areas of expertise is African-American history. That's an amazing question. 
It can be a real challenge. It's not only black history, but there's just some history that isn't recorded in the same way that other history is. And so it can be a challenge to find the documents and the sources and the things as a historian we typically look for to tell a story. So Washington School is a great example. When the school was built, that part of Stillwater actually wasn't incorporated in city limits. Mm -hmm. And that meant the city didn't have to provide water or sewer or garbage service or oh, wow. even electricity. Um, a lot of people lived in that area without running water, even without like outdoor toilets. Oh, wow. um, there were sort of communal like lavatories and places that were outdoors that people had to access. And as a result of that, because the school wasn't technically within city limits, it wasn't run by the city for a long time. So the records that we would normally expect to find about a school just don't exist. They mm -hmm. haven't been preserved. On the flip side of that, though, the silver lining is it's a really amazing opportunity for Stillwater more broadly to still have this piece of history. There were at one point over 50 black towns in Oklahoma, and now there's only 13 of them that are left. And mm -hmm. most of the ones that are left don't have their school buildings. And mm -hmm. most of the school buildings that served black communities from that era are gone. Um, just for one example, there was Booker T. Washington School in Stillwater, and there was also a Booker T. Washington School in Cushing. They were funded mm -hmm. at the same time and built <laughs> around the same time. And the one in Cushing is gone. There's nothing there. So that's honestly kind of an amazing thing for our community that we can say, you know what, we saved this. Uh, you did mention, you know, that the your work is kind of a detective, has that element to it. So can we ask about your process when you don't have resources or records that are available in other circumstances? Where do you start? What's your process? It really does just become kind of an expedition of you look for one little piece of information and see where it leads you. One of the most important sort of sources that popped up was a 1943 report that was put together by an OSU sociology professor who worked here for a long time. And it was just a report basically on conditions for black Americans in Stillwater. And he had collected the information for it from the students at Washington School. So the oh. students had actually gone out and interviewed every family who lived in the black community yeah. and collected these little data sheets and then submitted it to this professor and he collated it into this report. Um, so that report gave me some important dates of where I thought I might look for things. And then you go hunting for, was there anything in the newspaper in 1938? Was there anything in any public records? And if there aren't, then what's the next layer? What can I learn about the bigger history of Oklahoma in 1938 that might give me a sense of where things happened? So one of the little notes in Dr. Page's report said that there were federal funds that were being used not for Washington School, but to help build outdoor bathrooms, essentially, okay. for people in the community, because most of them didn't have running water and didn't have bathrooms. And so then you say, okay, well, if there's federal money going to that, then there's probably federal money going to other things 
And maybe I have to look at some different archives. The Stillwater Public Library did an amazing job a few years ago trying to collect what information they could on the black community because there really wasn't a lot. And they managed to document like, a few names of businesses that appeared in some different business directories and things. And um, we gather stories from people. There's a couple really good stories that like white high school students in Stillwater would head to one specific bar that was sort of on the outskirts of the community and they could get beer there sometimes <laughs> when they couldn't get it um, at other places <laughs> in town. So we follow up on those little kinds of stories. <laughs> Is there anybody who's willing to talk about those exploits? Um, yeah, you're kind of putting a puzzle together of pieces, but you might put one next to it that looks like it fits, but you're missing one in the middle. And I think that's probably what's so cool about history and your daily um, endeavors too. That's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you mentioned that there are oral histories recorded here from at OSU. Um, so what did you learn from those or did you learn things from those that you were able to incorporate into this project? Those were absolutely crucial. The um, OOHRP, which does amazing work collecting history like around the state, and it's a really, really vibrant collection of sources. I think they did eight or nine interviews, mostly with alumni, so people who remembered attending that school. Um, and they just told such a deep, rich, and honestly, an emotional history, right? People talk about this school as the beating heart of their community, as a place that really centered the black community. And there's a lot of stories that made it very clear this was a space that emotionally had meant a lot to a lot of people. And in some ways, that's more important than the technical details of right when it was open and what classes looked like. and. There's other things that are important, but usually don't remember minute to minute every day of your life. You remember how something made you feel, right? You remember if it resonated. Um, so I would absolutely encourage you. There's some great stories in those interviews of, um, they interviewed a couple like football players who talked about their experiences playing around the state, um, the sorts of businesses that were open in the black community that people could go to and shop at. and. It's a really unique collection um, from, you know, sadly, people who attended the school and the generation that really remembers it firsthand are getting older and we're losing a lot of them. So it's a powerful thing to be able to watch an interview and hear the words of someone describing their community that might not be here to tell us about it now. Well, what are next steps for this project? What's coming up next? We've got great things on the horizon. So my engineering team, shout out, uh, will be continuing to work on this question of how do we let it flood and what can we put in this building that's going to make sense and serve the community. We'll have them definitely, like they'll make a report at the end of this semester and so we'll have that information available along with the previous reports. Um, like I said, the community cleanup day is coming up. And that's going to be just such an important time for all kinds of different people to come together. And there will definitely be some sort of public comment sessions that are coming up to 
start having these conversations. You know, what do people envision this being? So there's a lot to do. We have to raise money. Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) We have to come up with a plan. We know we have some challenges ahead. So there were additions made to this building in 1951 and with all the wisdom of 1951 construction they're full of asbestos and there's black mold that's involved (laughs) there's definitely some things that need to be dealt with in Mm -hmm. order to make everything safe one of the things that i really want to highlight that i think is important is just to mention how many different people and different groups of people have already come together to help this building. So I'm not from Oklahoma, right? I grew up in California, a little ways away, and I moved here in 2014. So that was a really unique opportunity for me to come in and say, well, you know, I don't know the history of this community. I'm having to learn it as I go. And I think that opened up some doors to just talk with lots of different people, you know, who maybe didn't know the history. OSU has been involved, the departments of history and civil and environmental engineering and architecture, the OOHRP, also different community organizations, Stillwater Public Library, Stillwater History Museum, which you should go check it out, has Mm -hmm. some some great stuff on display. The original Pistol Pete head is on display at Stillwater History Museum. It's worth (laughs) checking out. There's the Washington School Alumni Association that's been encouraging people to care about this history for a really long time. Zion AME Church has welcomed me and OSU students into their doors multiple times to talk about what's going on. Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office has been really supportive. Preservation Oklahoma, there's just so many different groups of people in the city of Stillwater now and the private donor coming together. Do you know who the private donor is? I do. Yeah, I figured. I mean, I yeah. figured you probably would with that you was being one of so much. But I was like, does she want to say it? On but the I'm tape? Only, yeah, I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed. I, I figured she's probably it. signed something. <laughs> they didn't make me sign anything, but it's one of those things where I'm like, are you sure you feel like I'm an adulty enough adult to be trusted <laughs> with that like secret yeah. side quest of information? <laughs> I mean, the important thing is, so this building is, is a big part of the history. All the other school buildings from that era in Stillwater have been preserved and reused for other things. Mm -hmm. So the Stillwater Community Center, for example, was the junior high school, which is just a few blocks away. It's not very far from Washington School. Um, And so Washington School really was the one that kind of nobody cared about Mm. for a while. At least that was the feeling in the community Mm -hmm. was that nobody cared about it. And... So after integration and students had been sent to other schools, this was you know, the one that was really a challenge to upkeep. And the wings that were added on in 1951 just weren't constructed as well. Mm. So they just weren't holding up as well as the central part of the building. So it was turned into some different things. It was sort of a community action center for a while, there was a shelter in that building, actually. There's little apartments that were built into it to really? house oh, wow. people. There were some after-school kinds of programs. They at one point had a, like a food pantry that would operate there and like a discount 
It was a little sort of a pop-up shop. So if you didn't have a lot of money, you could go to Washington School and into the auditorium and you could buy like, Christmas gifts for your family for a really discounted price. Um, and so there are all these different ways that it served the community into the 1970s, 80s, like quite a bit later than we actually think. Um, and then a decision was made that it just wasn't a building the city could afford to keep up with at that point in time. And it was sold to a private developer for, the rumor is that it sold for like a dollar. Um, <laughs> it was probably more than a dollar, but a reduced <laughs> price. And then it was in private ownership for a while. And so it was always really unclear, like what's gonna happen? You know, the smart business investment would be if we have a building that's kind of in rough condition that has asbestos in parts of it and it's gonna flood all the time, we tear it down and build something else. Mm -hmm. So there was a rezoning that took place to make it sort of developable into office space. And the plan was to tear it down hmm. for a long time. And the alumni community who was saying, hey, please save our school, it's worth more, right, as a school than it is um, to tear it down. They were promised some bricks. They were promised there'd be a little memorial that was built once it was torn down. And obviously that didn't happen because the building wasn't torn down. But you can kind of see all the perspectives. So the alumni community felt like this was really important. And other members of the community were like, well, but just it's a challenge to save that building. And um, the private, you know, developer who bought it wasn't doing anything wrong. He made a business decision and that's very understandable. So there were all these sorts of just actions or inactions that made it really unclear. Is that part of, now this is getting more personal, just in your research and, and maybe not as specific to Washington School, but is that one of the motivations that got you into your work, into public history? As, you know, kind of just appreciating the history of something and, and telling the story for future generations? I grew up on a farm and I got like we were pretty poor. We were kind of out in the middle of nowhere. There weren't a lot of expectations for me that I was going to go to college or do any of those things with my life. And um, I don't think my life would have gone the same way if it hadn't been for discovering history. And that I was like good at doing that detective work and putting those puzzles together with mm -hmm. history. But how it really came about for me is I discovered the story in Virginia City, Montana, of a woman named Sarah Bickford. And when I first showed up in Virginia City as a graduate student studying public history at Washington State University, everything that was known about Sarah Bickford fit on one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And it didn't even fill the whole sheet of paper. It was just like a paragraph. Hmm. It said, well, there was an African-American woman named Sarah who lived in this town and for a lot of years, she operated the Virginia City Water Company. I say, okay, so she's a black female public utilities owner. And this would have been in like the 1900s, so like really early. And Sarah had been a slave. She was enslaved for the first part of her life. And so when I said for the first time, okay, I think I wanna do like grad school research on Sarah Bickford. A bunch of people flat out said, well, you're never going to be able to do that. You're never going to find the sources to write that book. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. You might find some things, but it was at one point put to me as like, well, that'll be career suicide if you try oh, wow. and write that book. 
Unfortunately for me and Sarah, I'm just like a, you know, stubborn, tiny redneck. I know my roots. <laughs> and I, literally, I climbed back up in my big truck and drove back to Virginia City and was like, Mm-mm, I'm going to, like, find this story. And so I was able to find her. There were these little remnants of her in the records that shouldn't have existed, but they were there. And it was one of these things where nobody had looked for them because people assumed they wouldn't be there, as you would. These aren't records that were kept, typically. And so I ended up being able to write a whole book about Sarah Bickford. And I credit her that, you know, I'm here at OSU because I had the chance to tell Sarah Bickford's story, and that made me a good historian, and that made my career possible by getting me through grad school. I think about that a lot. I try and stay really humble and always acknowledge that Sarah Bickford, having lived her life, made my life possible. And so, yeah, in a really, you know, roundabout but deeply connected way, a story like Washington School fits right into that. Yeah. But that is why we love history. Like, history gets a bad rap as, like, oh, it's just boring. It's just, like, memorizing dates and facts and whatever. And that is how it's taught sometimes, unfortunately. All of us have history we're interested in, mm-hmm. whether we so call it history or whether we call it, you know, our interests or our fascinations or our family, like where we came from. So it is always personal. It has always come down to individual people making the best decisions they can with the information they have at the time and sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it doesn't go well (laughs) at all and you know it's everything in between we have a little motto in the history department that just history is right it's not history was history is not just like this thing that happened in the past it's definitely present and washington school brings that out i think it's really important to remember, and this is something we kind of didn't touch on, but that is important, that it's easy for us to look back and say, well, Brown versus Board of Education happened, and then things were integrated, and then in the 1960s, we have Civil Rights Act, and um, things got better, and that's kind of a common way of looking at history as a sort of progression of things changing and hopefully getting better over time. Um, There are a lot of alumni of Washington School who felt like that wasn't necessarily true. You know, all of a sudden you go from being in a school where people look like you to being maybe you're the only black face in a classroom. And there are some stories of people who felt like, well, you know, our athletes were wanted at other schools, a lot of Stillwater football and basketball teams gained some incredible athletes after Mm -hmm. integration, and that was widely acknowledged, but other students didn't necessarily have that same experience. Most of us know what it feels like to feel like an outsider, at least for a minute, or, you know, to feel uncomfortable or feel like we're not quite sure where we fit um, into a place and so that we can all kind of channel that personal empathy for what that must have felt like to all of a sudden find yourself in a different school and a different environment that, you know, wasn't safe all the time. You know, what you, the space you've known, the space you've come to, you know, feel safe in and feel like you fit, you kind of get shaken up and maybe your friend didn't go to the same school as you from there. And, like, yeah, I can imagine that was probably a, 
an experience that everybody had a different perspective on. So that complicates your puzzle probably a little bit too. Um, trying to put it back together. The puzzle never has exactly the right number <laughs> of pieces. There's always those few stray ones. <laughs> like from a different puzzle that somebody mixed into my puzzle box. So, yeah. The joys of being a historian. It's messy, but yeah. that's why it's interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. people are messy and yeah. interesting, and history is about people. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Dr. Arada for joining us today. You can follow the College of Arts and Sciences on social media at OKStateCAS.